1: This is New Books in Science Fiction and Fantasy. I'm your host, Rob Wolf, and today I'm chatting with Cameron Hurley about her fantasy epic, The Mirror Empire, about civilizations on the brink of a genocidal war in which the enemy combatants come from a mirror world. Cameron's previous novels are God's War, Infidel, and Rapture, a science fantasy noir series which earned her the Sidney J. Bounds Award for Best Newcomer and the Kitschie Award for Best Debut Novel. She also won two Hugo Awards in 2014, one for an essay on the history of women in conflict, which was also the first blog post to ever win a Hugo Award. She's been a finalist for the Arthur C. Clarke Award, Nebula Award, the Locus Award, and the BSFA Award for Best Novel. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Well, there's so much going on in the Mirror Empire. I'm afraid to even start to talk about it because, you know, the 10 things we do talk about, there'll be 20 things that were just as fascinating that we we will have skipped. But I'm just going to dive in, and I I thought one of the best ways to begin discussing it is talking about how you built the story, actually. And I read an interview where you said you actually started creating the world in which it's set when you were a kid, and that eventually, over the years, you've rewritten The Mirror Empire more than a dozen times.
0: Yeah, this was actually the book that I planned on. I, I tried to sell this book before my first novel, which came out in 2011, and that was God's War. You know, what ended up happening was, I think when I sold the God's War books, I realized that what people were looking for was not necessarily the more traditional stuff that I could, because for some reason when I try and do traditional stuff, it's, it's just not very interesting. And maybe that's because I'm not interested in it. And that kind of comes across on the page. Um, So what I did was uh, I, I switched agents last year and uh, I went to her and I said, you know, Hey, our, I have these two projects. I have this epic fantasy. It needs a lot of heavy writing. Uh, and I have this uh, space opera, which do you think is more uh, sellable right now? And she's like, oh, I think we can do the do the epic fantasy. Uh, so we sat down and we just burned the book down from the ground up. She's incredibly good at, you know, working on plot. And that's really where I kind of was falling down. It was really difficult for me. So we sat down and said, okay, what is everyone's story and how are we going to make this work? Um, So that was, it was, you know, taking this, this book that I wasn't quite sure that even after writing it so many times that I had, I wasn't quite sure that I was ready. Uh, I had the technical skill to pull it off. But, you know, after writing those, you know, three books that got progressively better as they went, I said, well, you know, it's now or never. So we, uh, we took the plunge and, and uh, got it sold and got it out there. So that was cool.
1: This was something that you'd been knocking around uh, since you were how old? Since you were a kid?
0: Uh, yeah, I, I wrote a short story set in the same world when I was 12. So, yeah.
1: Are, are there some big picture th- things you could share about as the rewrites progress? Like how did the world change? And, you know, what elements did you find you were most drawn to in this world?
0: what I was most drawn to was this idea of parallel worlds of the reveal of who the big bad is. That was something that I came up with fairly, fairly early. And obviously not when I was a kid, because it was just kind of like, this is the geography of the land. I had, I know tons of backstory obviously with this world because I, I've been working with these characters uh, and the ancestors of these characters for quite some time. But what's ended up staying the same was, all of the things to do, uh, again, with the, the primary characters, this idea that uh, the die, in particular were going to be sort of this communist agrarian society. Uh, and and they, they kind of, you know, there were some things that were the same. But for the most part, I had to change really everything. Because to me, when you're a kid... You sit down and you write an epic fantasy, and you write an epic fantasy the same way everyone else writes an epic fantasy and it looks just like everyone else's. So, when I went back to the book and I looked at it again after writing the God's War books, which are like crazy, bug punk, uh, they're wild. Um, after doing that, I said, You know, people are really going to expect <laughs> that this going to be like a wild ride i need to really bring my a-game to this so i actually sat down and i said okay i need to figure out a whole new magic system i think the original magic system felt very um very uh wheel of time so we went back and i i I created this whole magic system based on satellites and heavenly bodies and depending on what's in the sky that gives you your magic powers and then i said okay you know i had bugs powering the world and gods were having to power this world um, in the mirror empire. And I said, well, let's do flesh eating plants. That'll be cool. So now there's crazy poisonous flesh eating plants. And, um, I like the idea of blood magic. And so there's some things people do to amplify their powers using blood. Um, and then I went down and I picked apart every single society that I had initially made, uh, which again, looked very, you know, pretty normal, boring, patriarchal, pseudo medieval, they were, they were very dull. Um, so I picked them apart and I totally remade them. Uh, you know, there's, there's polyamorous societies, there's matriarchal societies, um, there's societies of three genders, there's some with five, uh, it's, it's all sorts of fun stuff. Um, so I had to go back to my early work and, uh, say, okay, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep the geography and I'm going to keep the, the primary idea behind this is, you know, we're, we're all fighting ourselves. Uh, I want to keep those ideas, but aside from the two real major ideas and some of the major characters who still have kind of the same origin stories, um, that was really all that stayed the same. <laughs> I really did. People were like, Oh, you revised. I was like, no, it was just, you know, setting the manuscript aside and just starting over with, chapter one. So So
1: when you do something like that, I can imagine, I mean, I know a lot of writers who when they're in the middle of, you know, a a difficult project get very discouraged. I mean, everyone has their up and down moments. But when you have written a whole draft and then kind of have to build from the ground up, I mean, what what does that feel like? It seems to me it takes an awful lot of determination and, you know, real drive and ultimately a kind of confidence that you can see this to the end.
0: Well, sure. I think people underestimate, you know, it's, it's really funny until you get deeply into this business, I think you sort of underestimate peer pressure. (laughs) Um, What ended up happening was, you know, God's war, came out it did uh critically quite well it was nominated for a nebula award and a clark award it won a kitschy award and a cindy j bounds award so it did you know critically it did pretty well uh you know it sold you know pretty decently uh the first two books you know earned out their advances and it sold uk rights it was great when you have that kind of then expectation like it's like oh cameron hurley this amazing new books and fantasy and science fiction and you're like oh crap <laughs> Where then you're like, well, now how am I going to beat that? <laughs> so uh, so what I ended up doing was uh, I honestly, especially right toward the end when I was doing a lot of heavy rewriting, structural rewrites before it went to the printer, um, I was imagining the reviewers who loved my prior work reading the book. And I was like, God, I don't want to let these people down. If, I, if these people read this book, they need to feel that they're getting a Cameron Hurley book. Um, If they get some kind of, you know, knockoff fantasy medieval pseudo medieval fantasy that kind of wanders around people drinking tea, they're going to be like, what the heck is this? I'm going to feel betrayed. Um, So there's a little bit of that. And I think that that helped me a little bit, a little bit of a fire under me um, to make sure that that I got it right. And it was also I mean, quite simply, you know, my first publishing experience was uh, not the greatest, didn't have the greatest publisher um and so i and again in trying to get the mirror empire just a publication just to get someone to buy it was actually very difficult um the numbers of my third book were not great due to lots of different reasons including the publisher um but it was really hard to get somebody on board and to be like no 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 i i can sell these books someone please give me a chance um, an angry robot did that and and they took a risk uh, with mirror empire and it's, it's paid off. It's, it's done quite well. Um, so, so that was, that was, you know, a lot of motivation is just you sitting there and going, well, am I going to be a one hit wonder because this is what I want to do my entire life. And now I have an opportunity, but are the doors of publishing going to close? Do I need to self publish and re you know, re up my, my reputation, you know, in a different way. Uh, luckily I didn't have to do that, but this business is not, a lot of people look and they're like, Oh, you had, you published one novel, then you are always publishing novels. You're always successful. That's not how it works. You are only as good as your last book. If your last book doesn't sell, then you're not going to sell other work. Uh, it's really difficult. This is an up and down business. It's not a straight trajectory. Some people are up, some people are down. Um, and, and you have to work really, really hard. And I think that's very motivating for me, knowing that I have to work that hard just to stay in the game.
1: And it sounds like you also have put together a supportive, you know, supports where you need them. Because I think it sounds like you have an unusual agent who also really helped you edit uh, the work. And I know I've seen you or references to a, a wiki that in a, your assistant helped make to keep track of this vast world that you've created in the mirror empire. And I imagine those those things and probably many other things are uh, helping you along the way.
0: Absolutely. If you're going to have a goal in life, I don't care what it is, you want to be a CEO, you want to open your own business, you want to be a writer, you need to surround yourself with people who support what you are doing, whether, and that that's everyone. If your family does not support what you do, then maybe don't see them as much. <laughs> I hate to say it, but if they, if you know, and if you have a partner who does not support what you do, you sh- maybe should look at a different partner. Um, if you know, the agent that you have is not working out and your styles just do not work and you're not getting what you need from that relationship, then you need to find an agent who works. Um, I, you know, found a, found a fabulous assistant Um, who helps out with a ton of the stuff that, that I work on as far as like admin, you know, she does line edits and things like that. But you, if you would like to succeed, you need to surround yourself with people who, you know, support your success. If people are actively standing in your way or don't believe in you, then you need to move on because uh, this, I can tell you right now, it's hard enough having people in their life who support you. um, That if there are people who do not support you, then and you should totally move on. Yeah, it's it's rough.
1: <laughs> um, I want to ask you, you know, in describing the way you kind of upped your game in the book by creating these different cultures where, you know, there's polyamory, and there's matriarchal society and all the things that you described, it seems to tie into the essay that you wrote that earned you one of your Hugo Awards, we have always fought challenging the women, cattle, and slaves narrative. Um, That's the title of the essay. And the message I got from it was that we're all culturally brainwashed to think of women as falling into fixed roles, but basically you're saying, you know, A, that's not the truth. That's not even based on reality. And there's this line, one of my favorite lines in the essay, you say, let's just put it this way. If you think there's a thing, anything women didn't do in the past, you're wrong. Women now and then even made a habit of peeing standing up. <clears throat> that, that, uh, Yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> um, and uh, so, you know, that's not even true that, that these stereotypes or these ways we are trapped by our culture to think of anyone, really. I mean, men, women. Uh, wh- whoever, whatever prejudices we have, you know, they're they're probably they're not rooted in the way the world the way the world really is. And also, you you're making the point that especially for fantasy writing, it's very hampering to to go enter it that way with these these prejudices, these things we might not even be aware of. You really need to unchain your imagination so you can write the best mind blowing world building universe possible. Okay, so that was a long way of asking. How did you do that? How do you free your mind to invent a world that is unhinged and unattached from the world we live in?
0: Well, you know, people people find my first draft process very funny because my first drafts are basically just dialogue and fight scenes. They're actually really lazy. It's just me getting down the plot. It's like, okay, what do I need so that A plus B equals C? And then we get there. What I do then is I go back and I go back. uh, I'm actually sitting here at my desk. I have about 40 library books on different kinds of poisons and plants. And uh, one that's about uh, anarchical government uh, and queen of the Mongols about the Mongol Queens. And I have stuff about slavery And, uh, how people determined, you know, humanity and personhood throughout the ages. And what I end up doing is that I do all of my reading and my research, um, my background is actually in history, um, and I start to add in little details. I start to add in details of people's daily lives. Every time I made an assumption about something, oh, this is what the kitchen looks like. Well, is that really what the kitchen looks like? What if there are spiders up above who, you know, have bioluminescent bioluminescence and that, you know, powers the kitchen? I don't know, right? Like you just make things up. Um and you want to do that just because it adds a lot of that sense of wonder to your work. If I walk into every scene and I know exactly what's going to be happening in every scene, then why don't I just write literary fiction? Why am I writing fantasy or science fiction? Um I want things to look and feel and be really different. I love that awe where you're just like oh, what just happened? Like wow, is that serious, you know? Um, I think yeah. The the third, I was actually rereading um, my third book, Rapture, the other day, and it's like people are like walking into these giant calcified bugs with like bioluminescence on the floor and the ceilings. Like, that's how they walk wander around. It's like a shop. Right? It's like the mall. Like it's like this giant byland uh filled bug that's has been calcified. But anyway, um, so what you want is to do things that are just, that, that strike, you know, kind of this awe in the reader. If you're bored writing it, people are going to be really bored reading it. Uh, so I go back through. I go back through and I do a successive uh, rewrites. I rewrite and I rewrite and I rewrite. Um, I also was very lucky... Uh, again, in a lot of my work That I have some great first readers uh, And so they go through and they'll read things And they'll say, you know, this was kind of lazy You know, this was kind of expected You know, these uh, you know, the, these gender roles are messed up Do you realize that, you know I, This happened to me in one of my books uh, My prior books, they're like You just killed the only gay character in your novel And I was like, oh my god um, Like, you do these things We are all raised with this bad programming We are raised on these stories We see them every day The cool thing about being an adult and being a writer in the creative industry, like someone who's putting out these books and this stuff feeds up, right? This stuff, all of our books and novels and things that we're writing now, these feed up into movies. They feed up into video games. They feed up into tabletop games. They feed up into comic books. Like this is the work that then could become the cultural zeitgeist. So if we start from here from novels and we write this cheap stuff that everyone has seen all the time in these bad stories where are that are horribly racist and, and ridiculous with these um, you know narratives that we've seen a bazillion times it will feed up And we're starting it. And we have the awesome power as creators to stop writing those bad stories, those stories that are just toxic. They are toxic to our culture. They are toxic to ourselves. They are toxic for our children. They're toxic for the people that we love and care about. Um, They're toxic for society. And it's really awesome to realize, awesome and terrifying, right, (laughs) that you are in a place where you can start to address that and you can change that. Um, so that's something I'm very much aware of uh, with all of the stuff that I do. Do I screw up? Absolutely. I screw up all the time. All the time. I'm, I'm one of the laziest writers I know. Um, for a long time, I was one of the biggest misogynists I knew. Um, I bought all this stuff too. And when I realized that it was all fake, and that, in fact, I could actually change the way that people, um, you know, viewed the world and themselves and other folks, it was actually very, you know, gratifying and like empowering, right? (laughs) But it was really cool to say, okay, well, if it's broken, let's go fix it.
1: Uh, You know, I found it very interesting that, you know, clearly, there's the mirror empire is filled with all kinds of strong women, women who lead. And people often say, oh, if we had more female world leaders, there'd be more compassion in diplomacy. They imbue or associate with women softer qualities. uh, (laughs) And there's none of that in in your book. The commander, I'm going to say her name wrong, probably, uh, Zazili, the general. Mm -hmm. I mean, she is one kick-ass, tough, no mercy kind of person. I didn't see any of the sort of stereotypical qualities that we associate with male or female.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, and it, it doesn't, it's, it's also with the male characters too, right. Um, and everybody yes. in between, I've, I've got characters who identify as all sorts of things. So um, to me, people are people. Um, there's a really fabulous book called delusions of gender, um, which is a nonfiction book about a lot of uh, studies and stuff that people have done uh about this whole idea of we this association that we have and it's co- totally false it's totally false and made up and it changes across societies and across time periods again historian right of oh you know this this gender wants one of the my the one that i find is funny that i laugh at a lot is uh it changes which gender uh wants sex the most so you know back in in greek times there's oh those women they're oversexed and they just want to have sex all the time. They'll wear you out. It's horrible. We have to, you know, curtail women because they they have these incredibly high sex drives. And then you get to the Victorian era, and oh no, you know, women are frigid and cold, and men have these outrageous sex drives. And they we have we must we must seclude women and keep them away from men because men have these outrageous sex sex drives. And it, 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 it it's all fake, right? It's all everyone has, you know, almost everyone has, you know, a sex drive, right? Like it's like that's normal. We're humans. But what we end up doing is we end up putting certain, and this is something I, I, my day job is marketing and advertising. And one of the things I realized and that we, we employ as a tactic is that people don't actually make decisions around uh, logic. They don't, they don't do that. People make decisions based on emotions. So if someone's emotion says, I'm afraid of Women and I don't want them to be doing, I don't want them to, you know, become doctors like me because it just freaks me out, this whole idea that women could be doctors. So, yeah, that's an emotional decision. So, what you need to do to back up your emotional decision is create logic around it. Well, it's just logical that women shouldn't be doctors because. They're women and they are X, Y, and Z, you know, I'm making up all these things. So what people do is they are actually acting in a way that has to do with their emotion and they are making this stuff up. (laughs) All of this stuff is totally made up because they're afraid or they are uncomfortable or, you know, for whatever reason, we can't deal with these emotions. And so we make up these logical reasons that this is how we feel this way. Um, And you see this happening all the time. Uh, across many different industries is this is why I want these people to stay out is because they're not like us. They're different. They're this and that and the other thing. And we make up these reasons and they're all fake. It's all fake stuff. So, yeah, so that was something that I, I came into the book again, being aware of and certainly wanting to play with throughout.
1: Let me ask you about your interest in writing about war and battles. Where does that come from? I don't know if that's something that you can even, you know, trace its origin to. But clearly, you know, so much of the story is about strategy and allegiances. And I mean, it's about war.
0: Oh, absolutely. My family is, many of them uh, are in the military and have been in the military. My grandfather uh, actually served in uh, world war ii in france that is where he met my grandmother his job was to put all of the bodies from the concentration camps onto trucks and dispose of those bodies uh that was one of the things that he did throughout the war so uh and then my grandmother was shot at by you know nazi planes she was like 21 at this time when, when the nazis invaded uh france so i and my parents worked all the time and so my uh grandmother looked after us. And so I kind of absorbed all of these stories, these World War II stories. You know, and, you know, my my great-grandfather was in the French Resistance. They hauled him away one day, and, you know, he disappeared for three weeks and suddenly came back. Um, so there were all sorts of, of stories that I had, and I, I actually put a lot of those. Um, there's a story online I have called The Women of Our Occupation that actually uses some of those stories in a new and different way. But um, But so it became a very fascinating subject for me is like, why is it that people will do these sorts of things? Um, you know, are, is it because, you know, there are just particular monsters in the world who do these things? Or is it just normal people? Um, and throughout my research, I found, you know, it's sad, but true. It's just normal people. Again, people who are afraid, acting on emotions and using logic to back it up. Well, these people are inferior. So yeah, so that was where my initial interest came from. And it was something I started to pursue throughout my academic career um when i was in undergraduate i was initially going to get into journalism and then i realized that journalism nowadays is mostly about selling ads (laughs) and so i was like well i'll do marketing because that's that makes more sense
1: you mean because it's about selling the ad space and the journalism
0: it's about selling ad space and clicks yeah
1: right so you just write the story to have the glue to tie the ads together kind of thing to fill the space between the ads
0: yep yep um so so i was like well i i don't want to be a journalist then and it turned out actually though that i got kind of sucked into history i got sucked into the history department at the university of alaska uh because they had the best stories history has the best stories if you have a great teacher who knows how to tell history as a story instead of just like in 1842 something happened and then another thing happened in 1845 that was totally unrelated who cares so it, when I when I got some really great uh, history teachers, that was that was where I ended up, you know, heading. And uh, then in graduate school, I actually went and uh, to South Africa, and I studied the history of uh, resistance movements in South Africa, in particular the role of women in resistance movements in Southern Africa during the eighties and early mid seventies to early nineties. Um, and that was my specialty. That's that's what I that I, I found absolutely fascinating. This idea. Uh, that 20 to 30 percent of resistance forces were actually female because at the time, you know, my early 20s, that, that like gobsmacked me. I'm like, how is that even possible? What TV show, right? Do you ever watch this? like, oh, the resistance forces, you know, three out of every 10 is a woman. And,
1: and when you say forces, I mean, these are like combat forces or are these? Yeah,
0: like combat forces, like the people who go in and, you know, they've got they strap on the gun and they go plant the bombs and they do the stuff. Yeah, but we don't we don't see it. Uh, I think there was, I was actually found it really fascinating. I was reading the novel, oh, what is it called? It's the novel that Die Hard is based on. But in the original novel, which was written in the late 70s, half the terrorists who are part of a resistance movement in the in the novel are uh, women. And so I was like, oh, well, that's, and it was funny because my, my view has changed. I'm like, oh, that's so realistic. It's nice to see something realistic. <laughs> like, oh, it's about three out of 10 was, was a woman. I'm like, oh, so nice. But, at the time, you know, when I was first uh, I first saw this, I was just, I was just I couldn't believe it because I had never seen it, but it's it's the truth and and we don't we are not exposed to it
1: unfortunately. Um, I wondered if you wanted to talk just a little bit about the weapons that are in the book because in one of the worlds i mean both in both worlds, the weapons can be infused with magic and in one of them it seems as if they're actually growing out of their bodies the weapons and i mean it's almost like you know war being an integral part of who they are it's actually organic to them in some ways
0: yeah that was uh and in fact i was actually talking with my husband about that uh because he was like oh the the, the swords come out of their wrists that'll be so wouldn't that be a cool idea i was like oh yeah that's a t- totally cool idea i said But if we do that, then obviously the pacifist society isn't going to have that. And he kind of looks at me and I was like, I was like, well, the pacifists, uh, why would they need weapons at the call all the time? And he was like, oh, darn it. I was like, well, but that's okay because the first society, the other society, you know, on the other side uh, in another world where war is what you do. And if part of your rite of passage is, you know, you have a literal weapon implanted into your arm, uh, you know, welcome to adulthood go to war, and that is what you do. And it was just a very wonderful symbol uh, of how differently these societies sort of um, view life <laughs> and what what it is they're going to be uh, going to be tackling. I like the idea also of, uh, yeah, these kind of organic weapons. Like, yeah, you infuse different sorts of branches and plants and things, and then you fight with them. Uh, just because, again, it's something a little bit different, and it was something very much... A symbol of that world. It it was something that to me made much more sense than some guy, you know, is beaten, you know, putting the hammer to the metal all the time. It's like, no, this just makes more sense. Which again, when you look at it from a world-building perspective, if you are deep enough into your world and you start to make those connections, um, then you know that you've actually got a really vibrant, thriving world in your head. Because then you instead of just relying on, oh, well, of course, they have a sword, you start to go wait a minute, why would they be at a forge when they've got these magical satellite things going on? They can infuse infuse things with the power of these satellites. And then, you know, all the plants and things have very uh, are very integral to the technology of the world. Why wouldn't they fuse those things together? That just makes sense, right? You start to actually put yourself logically um, into their shoes, and that was how uh, those weapons came to be. Uh, It was the same in the the God's War universe where, yeah, they have some organic weapons and they have acid spraying weapons. They've got uh, weapons, you know, bugs are the weapons. Um, So, again, just kind of thinking through, Okay, if you're going to have a society that runs on X, then X needs to be part of every single thing that they do.
1: The Mirror Empire is book one in the World Breaker saga. So I wondered if there's anything you can tell us about where the series is going to take us.
0: Well, book two, Empire Ascendant, I am frantically rushing to finish it now. It's due February 1st, so... Uh, and then that will come out October uh, of 2015. And then we'll also have a third book, as uh, tentatively planned and that, that will round out the series. So basically, you know, it's called empire ascendant. So that's about all the spoilers. Spoilers <laughs> all gave us empire strikes back basically. So yeah, there's a, uh, you know, the, the coming together of worlds. Uh, we have a big, huge war on the horizon. We have a lot of folks uh, who need to make some very tough choices Uh, The stakes are higher, the uh, blood is messier, the gateways are thinner, and uh, there's a whole lot uh, of betrayal and craziness going on. Um, So yeah, so it's going to be a good time. uh, I'm enjoying writing it.
1: Well, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Thank you so much for taking the time uh, to talk with me.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: Do you want to tell people where they can find you on the web?
0: Yes, they can find me at CameronHurley.com, and that is Cameron with a K. I'm also very active on Twitter at Cameron Hurley.
1: Wonderful. I have been talking to Cameron Hurley about her epic, The Mirror Empire. It's the first book in the World Breaker saga published by Angry Robot Books, and it came out just this past August. And as Cameron said, you can look for the next installment. Uh, Did you say October of next year?
0: October 2015.
1: Excellent. You can listen to more podcasts at our website, www.newbooksinsciencefiction.com, or on iTunes or other podcasting apps. Please consider leaving a review if you like what you've heard. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter at New Books Sci Fi. I'm Rob Wolf. Follow me on Twitter at Rob Our logo is by Michael Thibodeau, theme music by Michael Aaron. The editor of the New Books Network is Marshall Poe. I am planning to speak next to Ben H. Winters, author of The Last Policeman series. So stay tuned and thank you so much for listening.